When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Washington special teams coach Ben Cutwika as we discuss a variety of topics relating to the NFL playoffs. Plus, we talk about some of his former players, Dustin Hopkins, Tress Way, and Troy Apke. We even talk a little bit about Joey Sly and his thoughts on him. Then I talked to former NFL scout Tyler Roman about some of Washington's rookies, why he still believes in Jamin Davis, just not inside. And we take a quick look at some draft prospects ahead of the Senior Bowl. You can follow Ben on Twitter at bkotwika44, B-K-O-T-W-I-C-A 44, and you can follow Tyler at NFL Scout 21. You can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. There's going to be a bunch of stories next week relating to the team name. Also, I'm making a push here to increase our YouTube reach. Subscribe to the Empire Media YouTube page, and you can see my interviews in addition to other shows on the Empire Network, from hockey to horse racing to the Beltway Sports Bros. It's very much appreciated. Again, Empire, A-M-P-I-R-E, Media, YouTube. Before I share my conversations, a couple things. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Las Vegas coaching search. By the time you hear this, maybe somebody's already been hired. Josh McDaniels is the latest rumored name attached to that job. I highly doubt he's going to go there if the Raiders were planning to trade Derek Carr, or if he didn't have some say in whether they keep him or not. Like I've told you before, if it was up to the owner, sounds like they would trade him. But if McDaniels has a favorable opinion of Carr, as some in New England believe, then it's hard to see them moving on from Carr, unless they can grab another passer. Then it also depends on what kind of contract McDaniels receives. What kind of security does he have? Also, what did he learn from Denver after getting rid of Jay Cutler right away? But if he's not sold on Carr, knowing they would have to pay him the following year, then perhaps they should just trade him now, get some high picks, and move on. Ron Rivera will not be at the Senior Bowl, but I don't view this as some sort of crushing deal. Why? Because offensive coordinator Scott Turner and quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi will be there, and they're the quarterback experts and the guys who will work closely with any rookies they draft and have a great deal of say. Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, the other scouts, and a few other coaches, a few other assistant coaches will be there as well. There will be plenty of time for Revere to meet with any quarterbacks they like, and trust me, a ton of work has already been done on dozens of quarterbacks, especially the rookie class. I'm sure some will freak out about Revere's absence, but they shouldn't. Now, if they draft a quarterback without him meeting him at some point, as they did when Steve Spurrier was here and took Patrick Ramsey, completely different group, same owner, but different group, that would be a colossal mistake. But between the combine, pro days, and visits, there will be plenty of chances for the head coach to get to know any quarterback they're interested in. 
I also still think they'll have their next starter before the draft, mainly because the only quarterback I think many believe could start early is Kenny Pickett, and there's no guarantee he'd be there at 11. I'd also say if he were in last year's class, coming off the year he had this year, he likely would have ended up here at 19. Mainly, I say that mainly because he's considered behind the other five quarterbacks who were picked in the top 15 last year, for whatever that's worth. But there's no guarantee he'd be there at 11, um, and I don't know that they'd want to take that chance. Uh, that's why I think that you'd probably have your guy before then and possibly take a guy after the first round. Okay, it's a longer show today, so enough from me. After this break, I'll be back with Ben Kutwika as we discuss special teams, the NFL playoffs, and a few current Washington players that he knows well. How has Tressway become such a good punter? Folks, it's all in the details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with former Washington special teams coach, Ben Kutwika. Well, Ben, it's <laughs> it was a very crazy week for special teams last week. And as a former special teams coach and hopefully a future special teams coach. I'm sure you have a good perspective on it. And first of all, I do want to let people know, um, I mean, you've been involved as a, in special teams for what, since about what, 2009? Yeah, so um, I, really earlier than that, John, uh, you know, I got in the league in 2007 with Coach Mangini and Mike Tannenbaum, who was the GM. And at that time, seven and eight did a little bit of both. Um, okay. defense and special teams. Right. And then when Rex got hired in nine, moved primarily over to the special time side, assistant for a handful of years, and then obviously a coordinator in New York and Washington and, uh, um, you know, down in Atlanta. So you mentioned the amazing weekend of games, not only yeah. from just a football fan perspective, but from a special teams perspective as well. Yeah. And, and it was, and it's, you know, and obviously, as you know, a lot of times special teams, they don't get discussed as much unless there's a, huge play one way or another. And there were some, some of those, I guess you could say, well, San Francisco could feel really good about it because of how they handled it. Whereas green Bay is going to feel like that cost them their season. So I am curious, like from a um, special teams perspective, when you watch that, what are you looking for? Like you watch green Bay give up the block punt. What kind of things are you looking for as a special teams coach that, you know, give you a clue as to what happened and why and what separates a good special teams unit from a bad one. So a couple things to un un unpack there. Uh, yes, as a special teams coordinator, you, you know, as a coach, you look at uh, the games differently. I think any right. coach that's watching it watches it with a little bit different eye than, uh, than any fan. 
Um, the unique thing about this weekend was the impact that special teams played in a, a, all the games, right? right so you had right. game-winning field goals with Cincinnati. You had a game-winning field goal, obviously, with San Francisco, Green Bay. Um, you know, Matt Gay hits the game-winning field goal against the Rams. And so what was cool is that that came to light. Um, you also asked what separates good special teams right. units from, from, you know, others. Uh, there's a handful of things, I think, for, uh, you know, first and foremost, the organization and the head coach's decision that, hey, this is going to be an emphasis. I would suggest to you, much like the offensive side and the defensive side, it's very important to have key players in, a, in essential spots, right? So like on the offensive side, obviously it's a quarterback driven league. That's very important. The left tackle being able to protect on the defensive side, I think the the playoffs have shown if you've got a pass rusher and you're able to cover in the back end with a good corner, um, you're going to be a little bit more successful. I mean, I just think of what the Rams have done with their pass rush against Brady last week, and obviously San Francisco's done a really good job with their rush. So in the special teams world, John, I would say kicker, um, you know, Baltimore this year, again, was number one in the Gosselin rankings. Right. Uh, we also did a rankings for the 33rd team. Uh, Baltimore was number one, and they have arguably the best guy that's that's done it in Tucker. Right. And they're good at the they're also good at the um, the punt position and the returner. So right. you know if you can have those three components, and you look at it as another phase, I think you're going to have a leg up on a lot of the other uh, teams in the league. And when you look at like you know again, Green Bay had a really tough year with that. What's the difference? Like, again, in that, like you watch that block pun. I mean, you're, you know, they're coming through the line, right? But what's the difference it just with the line play or anything like that, the coverage units um, that, again, separates something like that from being in the top half? In addition so, to what you said about the, the kicker or the returner and all that. Yeah. So then, you know, I think you need some core guys that are going to end up helping you out, whether that's your fifth DB or your fifth linebacker. You know, I always used to, used to use the term the flag bearer, right? Who's the guy that's in the room that's setting the current and setting the culture for, um, for that, for that unit. Um, you had mentioned, yeah, Screen Bay has had struggled. They were 32nd in the, uh, in the league, in the, in the special teams world. And I can assure you, you know, with Coach LaFleur, an excellent coach that he is, that's an area that he's going to look at. And it's like anything you do at the end of the year now, 28 teams, right? 28 teams are conducting their needs analysis for the offseason. And that's an obviously an area that, um, you know, Green Bay is going to really look at whether it's and it's all perspectives of it. It's coaching sure. and personnel and scheme. So I, I, I could say with a high degree of certainty, Matt's going to take a deep dive into that in this offseason. When you look at like you know, the Buffalo game too, because the end of the game, 13 seconds left, and then there was the talk with the Bills, do you squib kick? You know, or do you kick it out of the end zone? Um, what is, what are the pros or cons of each of those? Because the squib kick, you could have maybe, I don't say pooch kick because it's not a pooch. It's a maybe a and it maybe hit your hit your wedge to the five yard line, right? You know, sure. um, but or do you kick it out of the end zone? What are the pros and cons of those situations and were you okay with them kicking it out of the end zone? Yeah. So I, I think always hindsight is, is very easy to look at. A absolutely. Asset. It's the easiest I, thing to do. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, I would suggest to you that some have made that, um, that should have been a very clear decision for Buffalo to squib kick that. I, I would make the argument that, yes, in hindsight, you look back, yes, to squib kick it, 
run the clock, maybe give them one way would have been it would have been the way to go. However, I would share with you, John, those decisions aren't as easy as you know some may think. Okay, right. so a couple different factors that I looked at. First off, if you remember a few plays before earlier, I think it was in the fourth quarter, um, Kansas City had returned a punt 45 yards. Right. Tariq Hill right. missed, made like six guys miss, number one. Number right. two is, is before that, he hit a 64-yard touchdown where he just simply outran everybody. Right. Um, so, you know, Buffalo may have been scarred by those two plays. And sometimes the thought there might have been another thing to unpack is that, hey, listen, we're going to kick this ball off and we're not going to lose it on this play. We're not going to win the game, but we're not going to lose it on this. Play. Right, right. And then we're going to put our number one ranked defense out on the field, which Buffalo right. is, if I'm tracking the statistics correct. So those are other elements that go into your decision making process. And I would also share with you two other things. Number one is that I saw a stat, and somebody might be able to back me up on this, is that 64 times over the course of, I don't know, a certain amount of time, teams have been in that situation where they had the ball at the 25-yard line needing a field goal with less than 20 seconds to go, and the number of times that the offense was able to successfully do that was zero. So the probability of that happening was, was low. But on the flip side of it, if you look at the 2018 AFC Championship game, when New England played Kansas City, the score was 31-28 with about 39 seconds ago. New England elected to, or they did because of the conditions, kick the ball off. Kansas City returned it. I think it was to their 31 or 32-yard line. And two plays later, Mahomes was down to the 21. Right. So those are just factors that go into it. Again, you know, hey, should you have squib kicked it? Yep, no doubt about it. But one of the things that I would have looked at specifically – was number 10 back there because he had just gutted me for 64 on a pass play and he gutted me for 45, making four or five defenders miss. Yeah, I also wonder with the squib kick too, because if you miss hit that, they may have the ball to 35 right now. Is that an, you know, do, do kickers, I mean, are there some who just maybe don't handle that kick as well in addition to what you said? So is that, how much can that be a factor too? A big factor. So on the squib kick, I remember talking to a coach. It was sometime during this week. He had said that they had done a study on the squib kick. And the average starting field position on a squib kick was somewhere between, I wrote it down, like the 34 and uh, the 40-yard line, right? So number one is you're going to give up some field position. Yes, if you can take some time off the clock and make it a one-more-play game, that's a decision. But also, when you when you are executing that squib kick, I mean, think about it. That that can be a if that's a line drive squib kick where the ball is fielded at the. I mean, that guy's going to catch that ball on the run. I mean, and Tyree, you know, a speed player can can gain right. fifteen, you know, twenty yards in less than four or five seconds. So, um, I just don't think it's as clear clear cut. Obviously, in hindsight, squib kick would have been the play to make there. But um, and then the other thing, John, is like. Until you're in those shoes, like you're an arrowhead, it's loud. I mean, you don't have three to four minutes to discuss this, right? I mean, I think probably Coach McDermott and Coach Farwell, who was a special teams coordinator, were maybe discussing that as the drive was moving. But my point to you is those things happen fast. It's loud. It's chaotic. And you got to make the decision. And it seems like Buffalo said, all right, listen, we're not going to lose it here. We'll just kick it deep. We'll put our defense on the field and we'll stop them in two plays. So when we're watching the coach on the sidelines, because they're going to show the special teams coach before those big plays, those plays, 
the field goal guys coming out, you know, they're going to show the coach and you're going to stand there like this, like, like, you know, Oh yeah, this is no big deal. What's it like inside? What's it like? What's that feeling inside when you're going to watch your kicker go out there? Well, first of all, let me take that back. When you see a guy, when your team has a blocked punt or blocks, like your, you know, your green Bay special teams coach, what's that feeling like inside when it's your team that has a negative go against it. And I just, it's hard to imagine. Um, it, it's it, it's not. So you mentioned when do they show the special teams coach when bad things happen? Right. Right. That's <laughs> that's kind of the mantle of leadership that you accept in this role. Um, you know, it's this position that all right, it's just a kickoff or it's just a return, and you know, ninety percent of the time it's uh, you know the guy's not on TV. But you're right when it is a blocked field goal or you give up a return for a touch. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened to me in a ton over fifteen years, right. but. Yeah. Um, what does it feel like? Um, so I would assimilate to the listeners out there. Um, you know, when the kicker goes, uh, when the kicker goes out there, if you've got children and they play baseball and there's bases loaded, there's two outs and your son or daughter is going up to bat. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, <laughs> what's it like when the block occurs or, uh, when a great play occurs, it's, uh, your son or daughter just hit the two run double to win right. the game awesome or uh they took strike three on the outside corner and uh and there with all that so i try to not not uh not the same but similar um but that is similar to what that feeling uh is like so that may relate to the view or the the listeners out there a little bit well that's what i imagine because i you know do you say anything to the kicker before you go like does anything need to be said to a kicker before you go out there or do you say something just out of habit because you feel like, well, I'm the coach, I should say something, or you kind of base it on like the individual, like this guy doesn't need me to say anything, just go do it. Yeah. I I think each, you know, it's a people business, right? And so I think part of it is understanding the relationship that you have with that player and what their needs are. Um, I've been fortunate to have a handful of kickers, uh, young way the pro bowl guy down here last year, obviously hop, uh, when I was in Washington, I had Nick Folk, who's really resurrected his career. He's done a tremendous job. Um, I had him when he was in New York. And each kicker um, is like your children. They're, they're different. And some will want more uh, talking to. Some are just, hey, listen. Now, I would share that there's continuous dialogue throughout the course of the game, whether it's what, you know, in, in the situation that we're talking about here, John, is like a game-winning kick. Hey, which hash would you like it on? Where do you feel comfortable? You know, a lot of times you hear like, hey, the 35 is the line. But, you know, if you're playing outside, especially maybe in Washington, you know, over the course of three hours, conditions will change, whether it's the wind or precipitation or whatever. So I think that that dialogue is always occurring. And um, the number one thing is knowing uh, knowing the player. And some will want, you know, some encouragement. Others say just let them go. And here we go, field goal. Uh, we're, we're going out there. So and it's the same thing, like whether they – you know, if they miss it, right. Right. Um, Sometimes you just want to get information of why, was there something there that I need to know about? Um, A lot of times it's just, no, I just didn't hit a good ball or something along those lines. So um, player specific. What's the hardest stadium you think for a kicker? There's a couple that come to mind. I I don't think Washington is an easy place to kick. Um, Not only because of the conditions, well, the field condition as well, Um, especially later in the year, John, you know, when it gets uh, chewed up a little bit, those grass surfaces. Um, I think uh, Chicago can provide some challenges, not only with the surface, but it's right off of Lake Michigan. 
Uh, I was in the AFC East there for years. Uh, Buffalo is a, a swirling situation with the wind. That's, that's my experience. And plus it's cold. Um, Cleveland, you know, can be a tough place to play. So those Northeast um, AFC North uh, stadiums, again, Cleveland, uh, the NFC North, which would be Chicago, uh, Washington. Um, I've been in old giant stadium and I've been in MetLife. I do think just maybe it's the way it's constructed. Like MetLife stadium is more conducive than the old giant stadium to kicking. Um, well, that win with the, with the uh, big door that they would leave doors, open, right? Right. The doors, but those are the ones that really, that really come to mind. And then you mentioned Dustin Hopkins and obviously he was released here this year and it seemed like he always had that really good leg with the inconsistencies. What did you see in him early? And, you know, you I'm sure you followed him throughout. What did you see with him as a kicker? Um, why were, why do you think maybe there were some of those inconsistencies besides the fact that it's a hard thing to do? Yeah. So first off, when we, we acquired Dustin, if I think back, um, we were in that transition. Um, you know, Kai had done a really good job for Washington right. for many years. We were looking to make the transition. So uh, that at that time, Hop was in New Orleans in their preseason. So we were keeping an eye on him. And the leg talent pops out at you. I think he's really quick to the ball, which you know helps uh, – um, you know, getting the ball off quickly. Um, he had the leg talent, so he gave you touchback ability and also gave you the opportunity with the, with the leg talent where he would, you know, he could hit it high and you could cover it. And so, you know, the, the kicking is, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit up and down and maybe sometimes, you know, different. And I would say that if you look at his, uh, I don't know how many years was he there? I can't remember. Was it six? Six or yeah, then like six, six. about six years. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good run for a kicker. And so my point is, is that, you know, sometimes that shelf life ends and he'll go somewhere and, you know, he's, he's been in LA with the chargers and made a couple extra points. I think field goals there when they played that great game against the right. Raiders, I know he hit a ball there. So, and the other one that comes to mind is like a Matt Gay, you know, Matt Gay is the pro bowl kicker for right. the Rams. You know, he was a Tampa Bay guy he was a Tampa Bay guy that ended up getting cut. So um, sometimes it's, it's a little bit like being on a PGA tour, you know, I right. remember when uh, you remember when Spieth was winning all the main, yeah. the majors and all, oh, he's going to win them all. Well, there's other good players out there. So, uh, but I, I, I think Dustin's still got some meat on the bone and um, it's good to see him. And hopefully he uh, continues his career out there in LA. And it, it seems like Joey has done a pretty good job in there in Washington, if I've been tracking it. Yeah, and have you watched him? Because he he did do a good job. He's also built. He's also probably the most muscular kicker that I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. Yeah, Joey's yoked up. So I I haven't I didn't watch all his kicks this year for uh, for Washington. Uh, I had familiarity with him when he was in Carolina when I was in Atlanta. Um, another exceptional leg talent kind of guy. Um, I think when he's hitting the ball right, he's he's as good as anybody out there. And uh, yeah, it looks like he knows where the weight room is. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully that, hopefully that transition or that transaction has solidified uh, that position for Washington and kind of like the punting position. I mean, you just, we don't talk about it, but you know, we got Tress in 2000 and I, I got there in 14 and we right. took him and he's been there for what, seven years now. And so, you know, anytime you can solidify. 
Yeah, and why is he developed so well? Because when he came here, like, and he's really developed in multiple facets. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think uh, a handful of things. I think, so, so with, um, with Tress, we got him off a of Chicago squad. Right. Uh, we were looking, again, we were in the transition. So when I acquired, um, uh, when I acquired Tress is the leg talent was there, had another good leg. Um, I think where he has developed is more with uh, not only his pooch punting, but also his directional ability. Um, we had worked for years. And again, he was a young punter coming in. So it's not like those things happen overnight. So, you know, I think like in 14 and 15, all right, we're just working on ball striking consistency. Let's be able to hit a good ball with hang time. And the thing with Tress where he started out is he would drive the ball a lot down the field, but he's done a tremendous job of balancing his hang time over his distance and the field punts, he can still hit a, you know, a huge ball that goes 55, 60 yards, but I think he's got more balance there. Number two is we worked extensively on the pooch punting, the ability to get the ball inside the 10, five yard line. And then um, his directional where, where he is a left footer and think of it as um, think of it as a golfer. He was always hitting the draw. So he had trouble going to the left. So my last couple of years in 17 and 18, we really worked on that. It looks like coach Nate has uh, done a really good job of uh, continuing that. And uh, you know, I'm just really happy for him because trust is a really good man too. Well, well, trust, trust is a good guy. And, and it's funny because I will say like, I, we always talk about like his first game punting in the end for you guys, I think it was a loss against Dallas, maybe something like that but it was a loss and he was the happiest guy in the locker room. Cause like, man, it's just so great to punt in the NFL. And like, you know, it, it was endearing. It wasn't, you know, it was like, well, they, you guys lost, but he's like, he was so upbeat that you got a sense of his personality right away. Yeah. I was fortunate during the time there to be surrounded with um, guys like Tress and hop and, and Nick Sunberg, you know, for those right. years uh, as, as the long snapper and, you asked, you know, a few minutes ago about, um, you know, what makes a, a good unit. And when you can have that solidify, you know, yeah. solidify that battery, that really, uh, really helps. And I was fortunate to have that for a few years. How does the guy work so much? Because, like, everybody wants to put on something. I guess it's a golfer being able to hit different shots. But it just seems like with the punter to be able to hit all those shots, like, what goes into being able to be, be better at kicking to your left if you're left-footed or to hit those pooch punts because those are different techniques, I would imagine. A lot of behind-the-scenes work that um, that, the t- that typically fans don't see. Uh, I think that we see the Sunday at 1 o'clock, I right. think, John, what goes on behind the scenes to be one of the 32. I mean, really, that's what it is. Um, takes a lot of work. And it's not only the on the field work, John, it's the film study and not only film study of yourself, but looking at other punters that, hey, that's what I want it to look like. And so um, there's a there's a there's a lot of work that goes on. And I think that if if you saw it, you'd have a really, really great appreciation for the the work ethic that those people that that those players have. And going back to Washington, um, there's there's been no players that worked as hard as the group that, that we had there. And that's why I say with trust, because you don't become, you don't improve if you're not doing it. And when we're out at practice, you know, you know, like they're going to take breaks. You got to save the leg. You got to do this, but clearly, you know, he's working a lot of that in the off season as well, because, but I just, it just, I just wonder, cause not every punter can do that. So is it just, is there something about him that enabled him in addition to the work? Is there something about the kind of athlete he is 
or is it just like he just puts in more work? Yeah, no, I, I, I would say it's a combination of those things. He's obviously got clear physical talent. Uh, just to give you a, a quick synopsis there, like one of the things that we really worked on with, with Trester in my early time, there was catching and molding the ball. And so there's different phases to punting, right? You got to catch and mold. And those that are familiar with punting will hear about the you drop. You catch and mold, catch and mold. What do you mean by mold? Catching, catching the ball the off ball, of the right? center. Yeah, catching the ball and then getting that ball positioned quickly where I'm going to mold it to punt it. And, you know, one of the things there is, if you remember, like Sunberg had one of the highest velocities of any long snapper out there. I mean, he if there's one thing that Nick Sunberg could do is he could zip the ball back there. And it and it took trust a little bit of time to. Um, get used to or accustomed to the speed of that. So we would get on the jugs machine every day. And that was one thing that behind the scenes that we, we did. So, um, so we'll see, you know, see how it shakes out and hopefully he's, uh, he's able to continue to, to improve and uh, just, just happy to see where he's at right now. Did you get a, did you, were you able to watch DeAndre Carter as a returner much? No, I remember him from, he was, I think it was at Houston before he came to Washington. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think we, we had played against him, whether I was in Atlanta, I think it was in Atlanta. And um, I remember some Twitch ability to make the first guy miss. Um, but it seems like he's, he's done a nice job there in Washington. Yeah. I haven't watched all his he's, tape. Yeah he, yeah, he has. He's got, you're right. He's got the Twitch. I think one of the things that's helped him this year is he didn't put the ball on the ground. And that was a problem in the past. Um, but he's, you know, I, he had, he returned one for a score and I swear I thought he was going to return a couple others because he, he put, I think he has that ability. Um, another yeah. guy that I want to ask about was Troy Apke. You guys drafted him in 2018 and you were there yeah. and he's developed into like Nate certainly considers him one of their core players as one of the gunners and all that. But he, you know, sometimes when you, I know fans, they, they, they want to see big plays from a guy like that because you feel like, Hey, you're taking a brush spot. What's your take right. on, on Troy? So I remember when uh, we, we drafted Troy uh, out of Penn State. Um, the thing that hindered him a little bit during my time there was his injuries. Uh, he was right, right on the cusp of, of, of being what you were looking for out of the player in that role. What was that? It was a backup safety and a, um, a core special teams player that could play on all four phases, punt, punt, return, kickoff coverage, kickoff return. But then what happened there, John, is, you know, he had a hamstring injury, which really slowed him down. A um, handful of things, one, reliability, consistency. You knew what you were getting there. He knew what to do. You know, that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize, like in the special teams world is like that player that is a core special teams player, John, they've got to be one of the sharpest players on your roster. Why? Because they have to master what they're doing on special teams. And then with a broken chin strap, they're going to go have to play defensive for offensive football. So, um, you know, so those players that have that dual role capable, you know, uh, ability and they're asked to do that, they've got to be very, very smart football players, but had very good, um, very good straight ahead speed, um, you know, had a, had a mindset to do it and a will to do it. So it's good to see that, that he's evolved there and that Nate, uh, uh, Nate relies on him or is going to count on him. sounds like for the, for the next years to come. It, it, it does. Now, I guess the other part is he, you know, we didn't see him make a lot of play. So in that role, yeah. what, what, you know, what's the impact, what impact should he have? Is it when you're coming out, is it, is it taking, taking out a block or just giving yourself up should he be making big plays like what is that 
You know, yeah. what, is that? what would you expect from that? Right. So in the coverage aspect of it, where it gets highlighted the most, if you're a perimeter player as a, as a, as a gunner on the outside, uh, you'd like to see either forcing fair catches or making, you know, a making the play B forcing fair catches or C, you know, making that player redirect. And then in the kickoff coverage game, if you're, you're covering obviously very similar, but what'll happen sometimes Joe is, you know, these coaches that across the league are smart and you're going to try to take away Sure. Um, oftentimes a team's best player. So, you know, if Troy is evolving into a player that the other team has to account for, a lot of times we'll call it the double vice on the outside. That's where the double vice will end up being. And so that'll also happen in the kickoff return game where they execute their double team block on a player like Troy. So sometimes it's almost uh, a function of, hey, he may not be making those plays. And again, I haven't gone in right, depth right, and right, studied right. his film. Right, right. But it could be a case where, hey, maybe he's not making the tackles, but he's forcing other, he's forcing the opponent to account for him, and therefore it's opening up other opportunities for other players. How many guys would a special teams coach get to keep? When, if, when you were here, like how many would Jay let you say you get three guys, four guys? How many guys would you get? Yeah, Jay was Jay was great with it. I, I don't know if it was a function of like, hey, you get to pick two or three guys. I would share with you that it's a constant um, it's a it's a constant discussion and dialogue that you have, not only with the head coach, but the defensive and offensive okay. coordinator. And so that's what's really cool about being in those buildings is you're part of a problem solving set is yeah. that, hey, as you come out of free agency and the draft. And again, that's where your talent acquisition occurs is it's very, very important to identify, hey, where's this guy going to fit on the roster? And then the other thing, John, is it's very dynamic. I mean, you see it. Uh, I saw somewhere, was it one of these teams played like 92 guys this year? I mean, so my point is, is that the roster that you may set, like, hey, how many guys do you get to pick? Um, you know, that may be a certain set like in August and early September. But by the time you get to Thanksgiving, the roster looks a lot different. So sure. that's another thing that happens in these buildings and these organizations is those dialogues of, Hey, this guy got hurt or for whatever reason, we're moving on from this player. And now we're going to bring this other player in what value can he bring to offense, defense? And then that's where the special teams coach comes in as well. But you know, you talk about, you talk about 92 guys, like, and I know this team late in the year had all sorts of injuries and that's going to trickle down to special teams because you're bumping guys up and a lot of the replacements going to special teams, which makes it tough for a coach. But I also want to ask you about, they have a receiver here, Deami Brown. He was a third round pick. Now he only caught a couple passes and he had some injuries and all that, but they really liked what he was showing on special teams. So I'm curious from your perspective, like, and he was playing gunner and, you know, like what kind of things can, when in your experience, can a receiver learn playing a gunner role that can translate and how often would you see that success built here carry over to there? Yeah. So I, I just made a note there. Yeah. So, you know, at the receiver position, um, especially with the offensive guys, what value are they going to bring to the special team space? So the receiver, is he a return guy that can return punts and return kicks? It sounds like Brown, as you were mentioning, is more of a coverage type of receiver. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I can remember when I was in New York years ago, um, a receiver, Wallace Wright, that was like the fifth receiver, kind of the blocking receiver guy. Um, knew what he was doing, but uh, was really good in the coverage aspect of it. So like the receiver, what you have to do is just help, you know, a lot of times you like to, 
to, to teach them like, Hey, it's sameness and likeness. So at the gunner spot, like, Hey, your release in this situation is very similar to your release off the line as a wide receiver. The big aspect on the offensive players is the ability to tackle. And that gets to be one of the challenges is because the number of contact practices, even in the spring, right in the spring, you're not in any pads. So bringing guys to the ground is very, very limited. So as a coach, you've got to be creative and innovative on how you're going to um, reconstruct those scenarios where those players are going to tackle the linebackers and the, the safeties. They've got a lot of tackling experience from their time in college, but it's the wide receiver that, um, not only do you got to teach to, you know, how to tackle, but more as importantly is leveraging. How do you want to leverage this football so other players can, can get in on the play? So if you see him like the one, and the reason why I even ask about it is because obviously you haven't seen him, but you know, he became, they felt like he became more physical and you saw some competitiveness out of him trying to work back in front of guys. Like if he's going to help double team down the field on some other things, how can that translate for him to offense in future years? And where can, can it help him develop as a receiver playing that role? Yeah, absolutely. I think two areas, like, so what, what I'm hearing is like, hey, this guy is playing special teams. How can it help him Correct. evolve as a receiver? Right. Yes. I think there's two aspects of it. One is on the outside, as I mentioned to you with, with the releases, right, which is very similar to a wide receiver position. And then the physical aspect of it, not so much maybe on the coverage aspect, like in punt, but right. in uh, kickoff return in regard to use your hands, body position, and again, a lot of times you see, you know, for lack of a better term, the graduation or the evolution of a receiver or a player where they're using skill sets, whether it's in blocking techniques, um, uh, body position, hand placement, um, where they can begin to graduate to the to the offensive side as maybe a third down run blocking receiver or uh, something along those lines. So um there are transferable skills because at the end of the day, football is still, uh, you know, it's still blocking and tackling to a degree. It's a huge element to it. Ben, last thing, I appreciate your time, but what's your future here? What, what do you, what are you still hoping to do? Yeah, I'd love to get back, back in. So as uh, we touched base right when we started, you know, the cycle is spinning. So there's contacts that will be made today, uh, have great relationships with, with guys across the league and, um, so, but the, the year out's been good. It allows you a little bit of a recharge and a perspective. So John, we'll see how it, how it shakes out over the next, uh, next week to 10 days. And, uh, love to be back on an NFL sideline, uh, next, uh, next fall. Well, good luck with that. I appreciate you joining me. And for, again, for further insight, it's the 33rd team, you know, you can sign up, subscribe to that email. And there's really good insight from former coaches, general managers, executives, and I always enjoy reading. So thank you very much, Ben. Awesome, John. Thanks for having me. After this break, I'll be back with former NFL scout Tyler Roman, host of the Roman Around the NFL podcast, why he never thought Jamin Davis was a fit in the middle, and what quarterback in this draft has caught his eye. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KIM, K-E-I-M, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code KIME for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Tyler Roman. Well, welcome back, Tyler. It's been a minute since I've had you on, unfortunately. And, you know, there's obviously now we're getting into draft season and there's a lot going on. But first of all, I want people, I want you to tell people how they can hear, follow, listen to you. Um, I have the uh, Roman Only podcast with Empire Media. I have an episode out every week. I actually have an episode out right now uh, talking about top offense for the 11th pick for the Washington football team or soon to be Washington, whatever, in a week. Uh, I, have, I have an episode drop every week. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL Scout 21 and Instagram at Roman League underscore pod. And you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. There you go. And so I, I want to get about one or two of those guys that you're talking about at 11, but let's start off with last year's rookie class because. You know, going forward, these guys have to play a role here. We already know they're here. Jamin Davis, were you surprised at some of his struggles this year inside, especially? No, not really. You know, I, I didn't think he was inside linebacker at the time at Kentucky. Um, he was very raw at Kentucky. Um, you know, he only really started one year there. He really was forced into action because of the unfortunate injury of a teammate um, who suffered a stroke. Um, but, you know, Jamin Davis really showed out that one year at Kentucky where he was able to play and really start the whole season. I love the way he played in space. He showed good ball skills. He had a few interceptions, took one of the house at Kentucky. Um, so, you know, I, there was definitely upside in that pick. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I knew he was going to be a year or two process coming into the NFL. So, yeah, I'm not very too surprised the way he played his rookie year. Why did and, – and I heard from people before the draft, too, that were very mixed on him inside. And they felt like, yes, a good outside linebacker prospect, not inside. Why didn't you, why didn't you think he would translate inside? Really, it's just because I thought – he plays more freely when he has less on his plate. You could tell he's more of an instinctual player. He likes to right. read and react. And I think it's more adept for an outside linebacker. Middle linebacker is a lot more on their plate, calling plays, um, getting everyone you know, set to a certain extent. So I just feel like he fought more freely when he had the responsibility to just go play ball, you know, see ball, get ball kind of thing. So, um, you know, I just thought he – I really thought there was – I didn't think they were going to put him the mic when they drafted him. I thought they were going to put him outside and just, you know, let him go. But they didn't, and I really thought it was a mistake from the jump. And really, that pick last year, I really was more of a favorite of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, so I thought they really should have went after. Me but, too. <laughs> exactly. But now I like that guy a lot. And he had a really good year with uh, Cleveland. He as well. did. But it, it makes more sense now that they, they were trying to pigeonhole him to a middle linebacker, and J.O.K. wasn't a middle line, isn't a middle linebacker. Right. So they were trying to – either way, they were looking for a linebacker at that spot. They went with Jamin and tried to do that, and now it didn't work out. So at that point, if you have an outside linebacker that uh, – that Jamin Davis is at that point, you could have picked JOK. But again, that's that's besides the point now. Jamin's who they got. I still am high on Jamin. But again, I think it's going to be a process where he has to stay on the outside because that's where he's more comfortable. But then that breeds a situation where I've even heard on you know on your podcast before that if he plays, you got Holcomb as an outside linebacker, then you have Landon Collins coming back. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a real weird situation for them to handle out because obviously not all those guys can be on the field at the same time. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean, I in our ESPN mock, I put Koromoa there. 
and I knew they liked him, but you know, I, I liked him more. So I went with that. Um, but I, I think he played exactly the way he showed in college with Davis outside last one on him. Why do you think, you know, what do you think about his future there? Like, what do you think his ceiling could be seeing him in college and now seeing him this year? If he reaches the full potential, he can be a, you know, top echelon starter, starter the league linebacker, like top 15 linebacker, maybe top 10 if he hits. Because so, his athletic ability has never been a question. The guy no, it's really good. And his coverage ability was good, too, this year. Exactly. And that's what I saw in Kentucky, too. He has good ball skills, especially for a linebacker. You know, again, if he is just allowed to you know, get more experience, he needs more reps. He needs more reps to see and diagnose plays in front of him. We saw his two standout plays this year were really I – mean, the one was a fourth down stop against the Bills where he basically mm -hmm. – Super like out of the ground in the last game of the year against the Giants. Um, again, was allowed to read and react, go get ball. So, you know, I think if he's allowed to get more reps and get more experience, I think, again, he has a very bright future in this league. And that's why I was a little puzzled to see why he didn't get any, as many reps those last month of the season with the, you know, team really kind of out of it. I want to get in, you know, but he needs the reps. He's a guy that, you know, really could benefit from him. So, um, again, with more experience and more reps, Jamie Davis definitely can be a good starting linebacker in the NFL. And, I, and I'm hoping that they give him more opportunity. And I know he did do some rushing, but in that last game, the, the last interception by McCain, that was forced by his blitz up the middle. It was a hell of a blitz. And I think, you know, I'd like to see more of those kind of pressures from him next year because that's how he can contribute too. That's where he's got size, length, and speed and athleticism. Got to use it. So next one, um, Sam Cosby, what'd you think? Cosby looked really good. I mean, I think he probably, him and John Bates probably were the best picks uh, of last year's draft class so far. Um, you know, Cosme is a guy we love to see him play the full 17 games. Obviously, their ability was a little bit of a question. Um, he even missed some time in college with some injuries as well. So they, they need to hold up on that side. I think eventually he could be a left tackle. I know they, they locked up Leno, but obviously Cosme been the right side for their foreseeable future. But um, I'd like to get him a little more, see him a little bit stronger, the point of attack. I think he needs to clean up some of that technique. Um, to really be an upper echelon uh, right tackle in this league. But I was impressed with him. I thought it was a good pick. It was good, you know, a second-round pick that you can plug and play on that right side from day one. I think he's got some physical – he played well in the run game. And, you know, I, I thought felt like he was physical there. Do you agree? I, I agree. I agree. I like it athleticism, too. He, he can pull, too. Um, you know, he, I, he's not like a Trent Williams side of athleticism, but he I think he ran a sub five. Um, 40. I mean, you definitely could see that in him. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I never see him in the run game because I think he's a good puller as well. Um, where do you what do you see him staying on the right side? I mean, Leno's going to be here for a few more years, but you just see, do you see Cosby just staying on the right side? It's where, you know, what do you think? I see him staying on the right side, like you said, for right now. Obviously, Leno's locked up. I think he can play left tackle. That's what he predominantly was at Texas. Obviously, he's not going against the best pass rushers in the in the nation in the Big 12, but he did hold up pretty well in the Big 12. So I think he definitely can do it on the left side. Um, and maybe that's something they, you know, look at in year three. Maybe they have Leno one more year left side. He's going to be, what, 30, 31. Maybe they transition right. that towards contract and they switch, you know, switch out of the sides. Cosby, I think, definitely has athletic raw ability. And if he cleans up that technique, I really think he could be a good left tackle as well. When you say clean up the technique, what is it that you want to see cleaned up? Really, where he places hands placement, and he really gets at the point of attack, he kind of gets pushed back, and he puts all of his yes, he does. all all that weight's going on his feet, and he can easily get pulled over. So you really just want to have a more stronger base, and really just you know stand, not get bulldozed. You know, obviously, power rushes moves are going to put him at a disadvantage if he doesn't have good base, um, and really just again clean the te technique and have a stronger lower base when the passer is coming towards him. Um, Deami Brown. <clears throat> Not the kind of rookie year that I, you know, it's funny, Tyler, because early in training camp, 
he was standing out. I mean, talking like the first week or two, like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be really good. And I think I even mentioned in something where I'm like, he's going to be their most productive rookie. And honest to God, a week later, I regretted it because you could see as the longer camp went on, the more he became a rookie. So at that point, I'm like, well, I kind of wish I hadn't said that, but I did. So, you know, but it was early on, he looked good. And then, you know, we saw the season. What are you, what were your, what's your take on him? I'm right there with you, man. I love Diami going into the draft last year. Um, I still have, you know, strong feelings uh, for his potential, but you know, he, he had really good two years in North Carolina. Those last few years he was there. It was a deep threat. Um, he needed to work on his route running, and he still does. I just think he's very raw. I think what's really going to help him is having a veteran in that, in that uh, wide receiver room like Terry. You know, you can't learn from anyone better than that, work ethic-wise, and the way Terry, you know, runs routes, gets off the line. So I really am excited for Diami. Um, now, I don't think they should be confident. I think they should add another receiver to that room right now based right, off the too. way that rookie year. I think it'd be kind of – that wouldn't be a good idea to go with those three, especially uh, bacon on Curtis's health and Diami's uh, development. But Diami, that was a great play against Trayvon Diggs that Dallas game. You know, yeah. uh, outside, went inside. That was a good catch of the point. High pointed against the safety. So that's the potential that Diami possesses. Now, we just need him to do it consistently. I think he can do it. He has all the skills. Um, he's good after the catch. He wasn't afraid to go over the middle of North Carolina. And he right. had one of catches where he had an instance to do that in Washington. So I think, you know, the talent is there. It's just you got to let them develop. Receiver is a very hard position to transition to the NFL. Now, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson make it look easy, but those are the exception. They're not the rule. Right. They, they are. Like, and, and right. And I think like the one thing that, that if they're, if for Washington, what you can build on is what he showed a couple things late. And you mentioned the catch against Dallas. And even in that game, they had a nice play design where he's breaking open down the left side, wide open. Partly because of play design and his speed, but because Heineke's under pressure and he gets sacked, he couldn't get it to him. But the design and the usage of him was was good. And then the last game he had, I think, a pass catch over the middle um, where it's like, okay, that's good. But we only saw those like once a game. And so you'd want to see a little bit more. And I wonder, you know, watching him play special teams, if that's going to help him. I talked to former special teams coach Ben Katwika about this. But about like, you know, you saw him, did he have, he had to become a little bit more physical as a gunner getting off the line. Does that help him get off the line a little bit better next year? We'll see. But, you know, I'm not going to dismiss him, but I'm with you, Tyler. I think they, I'd still go out and get another guy because I'm, there's, I think it requires a leap of faith to think that he's going to make this huge jump next year. Do you think? No, I agree. I agree. Like I said, it'd be icing on the cake if he does, but I, I think it'd be putting too many eggs in that basket to say that he will. Um, I think he could be a quality receiver in this league, maybe a starter one day. But for this team, if they want to compete like next year, like everyone's saying, like Ron is hinting at, they need to go get someone else. Whether it be oh, he's more than hinting at it. They've got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Year three, it's a big year. So there you go. Um, John Bates, you brought him up. And, and I felt like, you know, as a blocker, really good. I've talked to Logan Paulson about him too. Um, really good physical blocker, understands the blocking game. What was your take on him? Uh, Bates, you know, I honestly didn't do too much evaluation of him before the draft because I didn't think he would be on the radar. Honestly, at that pick, I was thinking maybe they go more for a Brevin Jordan, that fourth-round pick in Miami. But I, Bates looked good. You know, Bates, Bates, like I said, his bread and butter Boise State was blocking, and that would, you know, translated to the NFL. He did a good job. Um, he had really good hands in college. Um, I think even one of the – I think McShay or Kyber City, the second hand is a tight end opposite uh, – I mean, excuse me, besides uh, Kyle Pitts. 
And you're looking back at more film, I do see that he wasn't used at Boise State very much as a pass catching threat. He wasn't used very much so much in Washington for those last second half of the season due to all the injuries with Logan and uh, Ricky Seals Jones. Um, but I think there's something there. I, I love the way that, you know, again, he has very strong hands. Uh, I like the way he was after the catch as well, especially that Dallas game where he went 20 yards, broke a few tackles. He even got a late hit. Yeah, it should have been a personal foul. He was hitting the helmet. But, um, you know, either way, I, I like the, I think there's something there. I think he'd be definitely a good number two tight end, someone they can pair with Logan. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's a high upside player in the fourth round. If you can get a good second tight end, give you 20, 30 catches a year and a good blocking there, that's a really good fourth round pick in my opinion. It, it is. I think he, you know, absolutely. And, and I think the other, the key here for them is that if you want to develop that run game, it's not just the five alignment. You've got to have tight ends who can do what he does. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's turn to the next crop of rookies going. you got the senior bowl coming up soon and, um, you know, quarterbacks obviously on the roster. But first of all, I'm curious, like, who are some of the targets that you had at 11 for this team? Uh, for 11, for that, for that uh, podcast episode I did, there were some guys I kept. So one quarterback, obviously, you know, that's the biggest need. I kind of looked at Malik Willis and I go into him a little more going to that senior bowl. But there's some other guys. There's other positions need for this team. We know that. Um, you know, I think safety is a big one. You, you got Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. He's a guy, if he's there at 11, would be a great pick for Washington. Again, I don't know if he'll be there, but he's a – reminds me a lot of Justin Simmons from the Broncos. Great hmm. uh, uh, center-field center type safety. I like him. Exactly. You got cornerback Derek Singley Jr. from LSU. He might not be there as well, but he's had some injuries and didn't play much last year the COVID year. But his freshman year was unreal. He was a top-five pick after his freshman year. Pair him with William Jackson and Kendall Fuller, and you got a lot – you got a lot to like there. And then obviously you got linebacker position. You got the Georgia's Nicobe Dean, a six foot, six foot, 235, a little bit smaller for a linebacker, but a good silent, a silent ability. And then Devin Lloyd from Utah, another linebacker, six three, yep. 235. Sacks, four first, four first fumbles last year. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Darius Slendard. And then last little position I threw in, talking about DeAndre Brown. I think receivers should still be on the table. You never know. Um, you got a guy like Drake London from USC who had 88 catches in eight games last year. He's 6'5", 215. Kind of reminds me of a Mike Evans type, you know, jump ball guy. And then a guy that you know from Ohio State, but I, I liked him a lot at Alabama, coming off torn ACL, but Jamison Williams. I know he's going to slide a little bit for that ACL, but the, his speed is unreal. I love it the is. way that he's the house from anywhere. Obviously, the ACL is going to maybe hinder that, but you know, he, I wouldn't be afraid to take him, especially if they trade back a few spots. So those are just some guys I talk about in the podcast that I think that are quality place uh, people for at 11 if they don't go quarterback. And who knows? It might be trading that pick if they're getting a well, quarterback. Well, I say that, that pick might be gone, or they get a guy – you know, in free agency or somehow some other way, well, I guess it'd be free agency yeah. or a trade. So that pick yeah. may not be there. Or if they get like, if they end up being out of the trade and you got to go the Mitch Trubisky route, then you're going to have to draft somebody, but you may wait to the second round. Um, who yeah. knows? But um, so, but there are other options that will be available to them. Jameson Williams is interesting because he got great speed and he's a great returner as well. So that, you know, but I, I think at 11, too high but like you said if you yeah. trade it back you know and he's like okay you can wait for him um i don't know if this team can wait on anybody but he would be a big help if if they did so let's look at quarterbacks a couple quarterbacks in particular you brought up malik willis why why do you say him so malik's a guy i mean 6'2 225 big thick frame um he reminds me a little bit of a josh allen like i'm not saying he's josh allen but the way he runs they do a lot of run plays kind of the same way he's not as tall as josh allen but I think he's the most talented quarterback in this class. His arm talent is on uh, almost on that Mahomes and Allen type level. He can sling it from anywhere on the field. He can somewhere. He has beautiful deep throw, deep uh, deep ball ability, and he also seems a really good guy inside, in and outside the linebacker. Uh, excuse me, locker room. Um, a lot of scouts and coaches seem to take a liking to him, and I think the Senior Bowl next week is going to be huge for his uh, draft stock going forward in April. 
Um, but again, I think he's really dangerous in, in the pocket. He can, you know, again, hit a, a throw from anywhere on the field. But again, he's great outside of the pocket with his line run plays. The biggest thing with him is that he can hold on to the ball a little too much. He has 52 sacks. And that could be a byproduct of a bad offensive line at Liberty and, you know, low-level competition that he's playing with. Um, he can miss some receivers sometimes, and that's going to come in time. He's very, very raw. I'm not saying he isn't. It's going to take a year or two for him. Um, but I think the upside on him is the highest of any quarterback in this class, and it's not really close. Um, so, But going back to what we're talking about, Ron, I don't think this team has that ability to wait for him to be ready. So I don't know how much of an option he could be for Washington, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's the best quarterback in this class, um, you know, two, three years on the line. Yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to take some time. And you watch him sometimes. And sometimes when I watch him, like, why did you throw that ball? You know, yeah. like, what what led you to that decision to throw that? You know, and sometimes, like, is it the, you know, and it's not always just the talent around him, because, like, there's some, the decision is a decision, right? Whether or not, the, right. you know, sometimes you can make a good decision and somebody just makes a good play. And then sometimes, like, in that against that coverage, why are you throwing that ball? And that's where, you know, that's where he'll have to develop his game whether what other areas would you say he has to develop really like i said it's been a little bit pocket awareness you know he definitely like i said hold on to the ball too much yeah um he needs you know he needs to know when to throw away the ball and obviously like you said some of the decisions go into what you're saying he needs to really know when it plays over throw it or bounds or also just use a check down you know check down is so important in the nfl guys almost reach another level when they realize hey i can check this ball down and get five ten yards to see what my homes did this last weekend the cloud right. edwards in it or when Josh Allen did us a Singletary uh, this last week. So really, once the quarterbacks realize that and it's mature in their you know, um, ability to become a quarterback, it really takes them to the next level. So really, he's going to have to go through those steps and you know, really help reach his potential. He's going to have to you know, go through all those steps and develop himself. Uh, Des Ritter is another guy, and I'm going to bring him up, or, or even a Carson Strong, because if this team doesn't take one of the first round, which I think it would be difficult unless it's Kenny Pickett sitting there. My guess is they'll have a starter before we get to the draft. So if you get, let's say you get a free agent, you're you know, let's say you sign Trubisky, if they went that route and you're looking at second or third round guys, Des Ritter and Carson Strong. What, what, and I know like those guys would, I know Des Ritter would be on, I'm pretty sure they'll be, he'll be on their radar. Um, and same with possibly strong. What do you think of that? He had a really good college career, Cincinnati, I think over 40 starts, and that's what you want to see. You want to have a guy that has a lot of college experience. We've seen the guys that have 10, 15 starts that don't pan out, like the Mr. Biskies or even Haskins of the world. So you have a lot of film to look on him. Obviously, it's a lower-level competition in the American Athletic Conference. But again, he held, he's a winner. He leads the team to victory. He has a really good arm. Um, sometimes I feel like he's a little robotic in his movements and the way he moves you know, in, in, in the pocket. So I feel like he's a little stiff um, in, in, in that area. Um, but again, I think he has a lot of Abilities that are there to like. I still don't know what to project him as. I don't know if he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think he'd be at the very, very worst, I guess, a really good backup guy that can come in and win you a you know, couple games uh, when you need it. But again, I think his, his upside, I think, is limited. I think his floor is very high. Ceiling is low. Okay. Carson Strong, what do you think? Uh, kind of a little bit offset. I think Carson Strong has a heck of an arm. I think it's, it's a little bit below uh, Malik Willis and Matt Corral. Um, another guy that's not very nimble in the pocket per se he had a lot of injuries i think dating back to high school um so i think it's kind of limited his mobility but there's some upside there like i said i think he might have he has a little bit of a higher ceiling than ritter um again nevada doesn't have the greatest weapon so i'm interested to see what he does if he gets to an nfl offense let's say he gets here and they have like someone terrier curtis and logan thomas to throw to that that elevates his game at all but there's some stuff to like there like i said i think there's some that ability that can be tapped in and maybe you know be a starter in you know year two year three at the latest and I think there's also going to be questions about his knee as, knees as well. So 
the, the medicals on him will be very, very important. And again, I bring those guys up because if you're not taking a guy in the first round, I don't think I don't think they're taking Matt Corral at 11. Now, if they trade back, you know, who knows? But and I don't you know, so I think that would be there's really one guy at 11 and then there's projects in this class. So it's going to be that's why I think that ultimately they'll, their starter will come via another way. But you never know because you've covered this. I've covered this team a long time and you truly never know. Tyler, thank you very much for coming on and good insight. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Ben and Tyler for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Monday, talking with Michael Phillips of the Richmond Times-Dispatch about the new name and possible stadium sites. Going over it all. We'll talk to you next time.